Let's look at some more Romans, okay? Everyone remember Romans? Hopefully you had a, I heard we had good house church services last week. I was in Adelaide uh, helping the church there. Definitely encourage you to continue to pray for the Adelaide church. Uh, and if you want to go on holiday, go on holiday there uh, and encourage the church there. Uh, they've, uh, they, they've, uh, they've been, many of them that came down from Brisbane to help plant a church have been there about three years. Uh, and uh, we're in the process of switching over to some new staff uh, that will come in uh, next year, uh, like uh, August 2020. Is that right? Yeah, August 2020. Uh, but definitely remember them in your prayers uh, as, uh, as uh, we, we will be trying to help them a bit more as well. Sound good? Yeah. Awesome. Well, let's, let's look here at a... Uh, I don't have slides. This is a complicated... I know, I know. Michelle's out of town. She took, the, she took the laptop. It was, you know... Look, you're lucky I'm here. Right? With Michelle out of town, all right? Um, but it is a complicated chapter. And Romans 4 is often a chapter maybe we skip over because we don't fully grasp it. Uh, but it is a, uh, it is a, a phenomenal chapter. And, uh, you know, like what Scotty was sharing in, in, in his communion message, uh, it te- you know, Romans 4 teaches us some very profound uh, things regarding, you know, our standing before God. And, and for, for many of us, uh, grace is... Uh, a concept we struggle with and struggle with accepting and, and understanding how in the world we can, you know, stand before a holy God and be found blameless. Uh, Romans 4, this is a huge chapter for us, okay? And, and as we read here a little bit from the end of 3 all the way through chapter 4, it, it's, it's a long thought that Paul is unpacking, uh, but his target is the same throughout it. And, and as we read through, you'll notice over and over and over, he'll use the word credited, Right? And he'll talk about how righteousness is credited to those who believe. And this idea that, that and it's an accounting term, and you know, you got your, you know, got some accountants. So who's an accountant? Right? Nia. Anyone else? Just Nia. Trevor, he fancies himself an accountant. Right? Uh, I took a couple of accounting classes and then I switched to management and marketing. I thought, no way. <laughs> right? Uh, but, but if you look at accounting ledger, uh, you know, this idea of, of righteousness being credited onto your account, a positive that's put on your account, right? And that, that's the concept that Paul's trying to communicate across to us, not the accounting term, but this idea that, that, that this righteousness that we learned about in kind of in the, the middle there of chapter 3 that comes uh, through, through faith in Christ, that this can profoundly change our lives. If we grasp this, Right? It should radically begin to shift and, and change us from the inside out. So let, let's read here uh, and take note of the many times that you see this word credited. All right? So we'll pick up at the end of 3, uh, kind of where we stopped last time there in verse 27. Paul writes, he says, Where then is boasting? It is excluded because of what law? The law that requires works? No, because of the law that requires faith. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law? Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles too? Yes, of the Gentiles too, since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through that same faith. Do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh, discovered in this matter? If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, 
and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work, but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the one to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against him. Is this blessedness only for the circumcised, or is it also for the uncircumcised? We have been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Under what circumstances was it credited? Was it after he was circumcised or before? It was not after, but before. And he received circumcision as a sign, a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So then, he is the father of all who believe, but have not been circumcised, in order that the righteousness might be credited to them. And he is then also the father of the, of the circumcised, who not only are circumcised, but who also follow in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. It was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promises that he would be heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. For if those who depend on the law are heirs, faith means nothing, and the promise is worthless, because the law brings wrath. And where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, the promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who have the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations, just as it has been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's room was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. These were the words, it was credited to him, were written not for him alone, but also for us to whom God will credit righteousness for us who believe in him who raised Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins. It was raised to life for our justification. Amen. Everyone got all that? Yeah. No way, right? Heaps in there, right? Let's have a prayer and then we'll, uh, we'll look at a few points. Uh, Father, we, uh, you know, we thank you for Paul. We, we thank you that, that he pushes the bounds of our minds, God. That he forces us, God, to, to contemplate, you know, in, in a deeper way uh, the realities of the gospel message, Father. And we, we pray you do awaken our, our hearts and our minds, God. That you open up the eyes of our hearts, God. That you, you enable us uh, to, to grasp in a, in a greater way, in a deeper way uh, today, God. Just the, the reality of the incredible standing that we have before you, God. We pray, God, that that, 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 that thought can, can soak into our hearts and our minds, God. That in times of, of, of failure, God, in times of anxiety or fear or you know, uncertainty, God, that we can remember what we are in your sight, God, and what we have in your sight, God, and how it's come to be ours, Father. We pray that you help us with that this afternoon. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. All right, heaps in here, okay? And, and if you've been with us 
Uh, as we've been going through Romans, uh, you probably felt semi-disturbed after you know chapters one and two and a bit of three. Right? Uh, I won't throw the person under the bus, uh, you know, but someone you know here in this room who, who's been a Christian a long, long time, you know, came to me I think after we looked at Romans two or three. Uh, and said, uh, you, you know, the, that uh, for the first time in a long time, they're doubting their salvation, right? Feeling shaken a bit by, by the realities and the, and, the, and the breadth and the depth of sinfulness, right? And ever we should all grasp that, right? Uh, if you haven't, you know, if you weren't here, read, you know, listen to the podcast on Romans 1, 2, and 3. It's confronting. Paul leaves no stone unturned. Uh, everyone, uh, he, he, he's, he's, his aim is to help everyone to see that we all fall short. All right? We're all in that boat together. Now, now the cool thing is, is that uh, Paul spends all those chapters doing that, uh, bringing bad news. But, but the good news is that chapters 3, 4, and 5, in many ways, he's going to do the complete opposite. Right? He's helped us to see we have incredible need for Jesus. Uh, and the reality is we have no hope in and of ourselves. Uh, but, you know, as if you were here two weeks ago, when we looked at chapter chapter 3, it's pretty positive, right? At least the second half of it, right? Uh, you know, and, and, and here in, 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 in chapter 4, what we're looking at is, again, it's pretty positive stuff, right? This idea uh, that, that, that grace comes and that, that righteousness comes purely by faith, right? Uh, and, and some of you may, you know, even feel a little bit after we look at this today, uh, this, uh, this desire... To you know, the, the, for, to to push us in a direction of what well, we need to do something. Okay, the gift is awesome. This idea that that, that righteousness can be credited to our account, uh, that 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 something can be given to us as incredible as that that we don't earn, that we don't deserve, uh, we cannot merit. Uh, you know, but but what do we need to do? Okay, and and that's probably our weakness as as human beings, always wanting to do something. Right, uh, there is no charge really today to do anything. It's kind of a good news message, right? <laughs> you know, that, that, that our goal today really, you know, for all of us should be to walk out of here uh, purging our guilt from our hearts. You know, for, for those that, that maybe relate to even what Scotty said, like, like I mentioned earlier, that, that, that we can, even after decades as Christians, sometimes can, you know, struggle with this concept of grace. Man, grace is way more robust than we understand, guys. You know, and Romans 4 is going to push us to this extreme. Doesn't mean we don't do anything, okay? We'll get there in chapter 6, okay? Paul will have very strong things, just as he had to say about everything else about that, all right? Uh, amen. Let's get into it, right? So, so we're talking about this idea of credited, right? And hopefully you noticed that, right? Verse 3, verse 4, verse 5, verse 6, verse 9, verse 11, verse 22, verse 23, and verse 24. Over and over. This is what Paul is talking about, right? Everything he says about Abraham, even what he mentions about David, th those are illustrations supporting this idea that, that, that righteousness, this idea that God looks at you and looks at you in favor, doesn't see your sin, doesn't see your wickedness, doesn't see uh, you falling short of the standard, though you do do those things, he looks at you and looks at your account, your ledger in heaven, and he sees righteousness, Flawlessness, perfection, right? Uh, you know, and, and, and again, it's it's a difficult concept to grasp because we realize, man, we're not these things. But how can do how can God do that? And the simplicity uh, of uh, of what even is said there, you know, verse three, uh, talking about what the scriptures say: Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. 
You know, and look here. Flip, flip to the Old Testament, okay? This is, this is a pretty significant text in the Old Testament. And if you're familiar with the, the, the book of Genesis, which is a great, great book. Maybe we'll preach through Genesis someday. Right? But Genesis chapter 15 there. Paul's going to build the entire, you know, his entire argument is being supported by, by there in verse 6, where it says, Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Uh, you know, and, and Douglas Moo, who's a famous theologian, right, he, he says, look, if you look at the, the Hebrew grammar, right, th that literally, that this verse here in the Hebrew, it means uh, the, the, that the credit of Abraham's faith is righteousness, means to account him, talking about Abraham, a righteousness that does not inherently belong to him. Okay? To credit to him a righteousness that does not inherently belong to him. It's not Abraham's righteousness. And if you read the story so far, uh, there are some really positive aspects of Abraham, right? God comes to Abram and says, you know, look, I'm, 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 I'm the God, uh, and you need to leave your family and go to a land I'm going to show you. And Abraham leaves. I mean, talk about a difficult conversation with mom and dad. All right? Uh, mom and dad, God has spoken to me. He's told me to leave you and to go somewhere else. Uh, okay, where are you going? Not sure, but I'm going to be a father of many nations. Abraham, you have no children. You're not even a father, right? But he goes, right? That's pretty remarkable, right? But that's not why God credits righteousness to Abraham's account, because even as you read the account, Abraham goes, but does he fully obey? God says, leave everyone. And who's tagging along with him? Lot? Right? He's supposed to bring his wife, right? But not his nephew, right? I feel convicted about that, bringing Cameron to Perth, right? No. Different scenario, right? I had to make the stupid joke, right? You know, you know but, but Abram goes. No one told him to bring Lot. And Lot ends up in a lot of trouble, right? Uh, down the road. Well, why does Lot end up in trouble? Well, because Abram, because of the famine, ends up in Egypt. And as Abram goes to Egypt, is he just a righteous dude that always says the truth? No, he lies. He says, oh, Sarah, she's my sister. Pharaoh says, well, I kind of like her, right? Gives Abram lots of wealth, right? Based on a lie. He's a great hero of faith, not really looking super righteous, right? Uh, you know, Abram eventually does come clean after some uh, punishments inflicted by God on Pharaoh. Uh, and, and they leave, and that wealth causes uh, uh, conflict between uh, Abram's household and Lot's household, so much so that Lot ends up outside Sodom and Gomorrah and then eventually into Sodom and Gomorrah, which is not a great place to be, and there's obviously judgment that falls on Lot's family. But, but it's not like, again, even if you read the Old Testament narrative standalone, Abraham doesn't look like a righteous dude. Great example, challenging example in some sense, but also an extremely comforting example. Anyone ever been scared and lied? That's Abram, right? I'm the only one raising my hand, right? Everyone should raise their hands, right? Uh, George, never? No, never, right? I'm the only coward, right? You know, but, but, but you see this idea that, that even in the stories, there is this, this reality that, man, these guys are not, not great guys. But yet you still get that there in verse chapter 15, verse 6, uh, of Abram hears this promise, and we'll talk about the promise, but it's a ludicrous promise. It's a, it's a promise that defies logic uh, and, and for sure would have been difficult to grasp, but he believed it. God spoke, and Abram believed. God said, this is reality. And he believed. It's credited to him as righteousness. God looks at that. He looks at that response of faith, and that's what moves him.
And he gives to, to Abram something he doesn't deserve. Righteousness. Good standing before God. Credited to his count. He hasn't earned it. He hasn't merited it. In fact, he's done things that are the opposite of it. And yet God gives it to him. Right? And you look further down in, in this chapter, and if you've read Genesis 15, maybe you've been confused about this, right? You know, there in verse uh, you know, 8, Abram, Abram said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession? Okay, you're making these huge promises. How, how can I know? Right? And so what follows here is uh, common practice in that time of, of, of a greater and a lesser entering into a covenant together. Right? Greater party being God, lesser party being Abram. Right? Uh, and so let's read here, Genesis 15. It says, the Lord says, verse 9, The Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram. Each, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon, Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country, not their own, that they will be enslaved and mistreated there, but I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will not go to your, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not reached this full measure. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On the day that the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said to your descendants, I will give you this land, uh, you know, from Egypt to the great river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, Amorites, Canaanites, all, all those different, different, different nations there, right? And so you think about this crazy scene, okay? Abraham is taking a bunch of animals. He's cutting them out, you know, cutting them in half, except for the smaller birds, uh, laying them there, you know, perhaps on the ground or, or, or up on, on a slab. Uh, and this was common practice, right? Now, common practice was the, 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 the greater of the, of the covenant, the greater party uh, would, would expect all these sacrifices to be brought. Uh, and then the lesser of the two parties, the servant with the Lord, the servant would then pass through, walk through these cut in half animals, basically saying, if I break this covenant, you cut me in half. Does that make sense? Yeah. Right? So kind of this idea of, hey, here, here's the punishment. Okay, we're entering into an agreement. All right? And, and, and I understand that, that, that if I break that, all these animals that have been cut in half, that's going to be me. Abram doesn't have to pass through. God passes through. All right? You read a Hebrew commentary on this, it's, it's an absurd thought. Why would, why would God pass through? All right? Why would he do that? He, he's, he's not greater than Abram. Abram's lesser. Abram should pass through. Right? But in some sense, what God is telling Abram is that, that I'm covering both ends of the covenant here, Abram. I'm going to uphold my, my, my side. I've made a promise to you that your offspring is going to be numerous as the stars in the sky, sand on the seashore. I'm going to come through with that. But, but Abram walking faithfully with God, Abram hasn't done that before, and he's for sure not going to do it in, in, in the future. And for sure, Abram's descendants aren't going to do that. But God says, hey, you know what? I'll take the fall. I'll be corn, torn in two. And that's what we just read about happening in the end of chapter 3. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. God, in some sense, saying, look here, here, I'm going to be torn to pieces because you have failed the covenant. I'm going to cover both ends of this. 
right? Because it's not a covenant that's based on, on what you do and your obedience and your fulfillment of all the laws because that's impossible. And, and God taking the curse of the covenant on himself so that we can still uphold the covenant. Does that make sense? Yeah. Right? And, and it's a remarkable, remarkable concept. And again, Paul, Paul knows that. And that's why he, he, you know, back in chapter 3 goes into even, you know, just from everyday life. Back in, back in Romans chapter 4, uh, you see that, that. He says that, right? Even talking about work. And everyone understands work. Now to the one who works, wages, verse 4, are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work, but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. I mean, think about that with your employer. They give you wage when you do the job. If you just decide, you know what? Ruck, I don't know who you work, Rio Tinto, right? What's, where do you work at, Lucy? Calvin Klein? I'm not coming in today. I'm going to sit at home. I'm not working. You don't expect money to hit your account. <laughs> Right? Some do. Right? And you maybe get away from it for a little while, right? You hear about that guy in, I think it was Spain or France, didn't turn up to work for 30 years. No one realized it. He <laughs> was like a government employee or something. You think, wow, right? It's pretty crazy, right? But that's rare, okay? That, that ends up in BBC News if that happening, right? And I'm pretty sure he probably got sued and had to pay it all back, right? Um, but, but that's how life works. That's how everything in life works. From the youngest age, you do the assignment, you do well, you get good grade. Right? I mean, my son's in pre-primary, right? Don't interrupt the teacher, obey the teacher, don't hit any other kids, have a gold star. Right? From that young age, it's ingrained into us, right? Do good, get reward. Right? That's not the gospel, guys. It's not the gospel. That's not how your relationship with God works. That's not how your standing is affected before a holy God. You, you don't do enough. You can never do enough. Righteousness has been credited to your account by your faith in Jesus and that alone. Your good deeds, your church attendance, your Bible reading, you sharing your faith, you baptizing someone, you being a great husband, a great wife, you know, great father. Important things, yes. Right things, yes. But that's not the basis of your relationship with God. And Paul wants us to grasp this. And he's used Abraham as an example. And then he uses David, right? Quoting from Psalm 32, right? Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against him. This is David. And what's he fired up about being forgiven of? Adultery and murder. This is David. I mean, Paul has taken Abram, and David, the two heroes of the Old Testament, and has shown what? These are both failed people. These are both men who, who, who don't do everything right, who don't have it all together, and yet they can experience the blessedness of not having your sins counted against you. To have your ledger clear, not filled with sins, but filled with righteousness. This is remarkable, guys. This is really, really remarkable. It doesn't say blessed are those who, who never transgress. <laughs> because it's impossible. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven. 
whose sins are covered, right? Uh, and, and Paul goes in, in depth, again, probably more so for his Jewish audience, and so it's not as, as uh, meaningful to us, perhaps, you know, but he, he goes after both circumcision and the law, all right? Circumcision and the law. And he, and he says, look, this righteousness, Genesis 15, this is before circumcision. And for the Jews, that was a big deal, right? And you can read Paul's writings in, in Philippians 3, uh, and the pride the Jewish people would take uh, being circumcised on the eighth day, right? It was a big deal, right? Uh, and, and you weren't even allowed in the inner part of the temple if you hadn't been circumcised, right? And, 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 and Paul's saying, well, look, you, you take your hero of the faith, Abram. Well, this was declared before he was ever circumcised. And you think about the law? I mean, we're at least 400 years pre-law, Right? I mean, and in, in, in some sense, even, you know, there in verse 15, some people miss, maybe don't get what that says, right? But he says uh, that the law brings wrath, and where there's no, there's no law, there's no transgression. That doesn't mean that there's no sin apart from the law, okay? But transgression is, is, is the, the Greek word here. Uh, <laughs> you can't transgress without a law, right? If you just wander on someone's property, uh, you're not trespassing, but if there's a no trespassing sign and you hop the gate and you wander in, now you're trespassing. And so in some sense what Paul is saying is that you, you want to think that the law produces righteousness. Well, the law actually produces trespass. The, because of the law, now you're doubly guilty. You're not just guilty because you missed the mark, which is sin. You're, 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 you've missed the mark and you've broken the law. So now you're doubly guilty. So you really think that's the path? To, to righteousness? Paul's like, there's no way. There's no way. Right? And, and, and you think about everything Paul's saying. Again, one of his other points that he's driving in here, and you maybe notice it towards the end, uh, you know, where, where he begins to talk about, uh, you know, that Abraham is the father of us all. And, and, and he repeatedly talks about all, because it's, it's everyone. Not just Jew. It's Jew and Gentile. Everyone. We are all in the same boat. Right? And, and you've you got to grasp this, guys. If, if, if you've, you've heard the gospel and you understand that you're lost, that you're in need, that you fall short, that you're a transgressor, you missed a mark, you're not good enough, and, and you turn to Jesus and you choose to put your faith in him, you choose to be buried, to connect to his death, burial, and resurrection and baptism. You understand if you do that, righteousness is credited to your account. God looks at you and he deals with you and he, he sees you according to that righteousness. Not as you do. Because you get baptized. Many of you guys have been baptized in the last two years and you know you get baptized it's not like you're sinless. Right? It's not like you don't ever mess up. Sometimes we mess up instantly because we come out and we think that. We think, oh yeah, man, I'm great. I'm flawless now. Oh. <laughs> Pride begins to grow. and No, no, we continually fall short. But from God's legal standpoint, righteousness credited to your account. Right? Phenomenal thought that needs to soak in, right? Practically, what does that mean? Right? Practically, day in and day, how, how does that change us? Right? And at the end of chapter 3 and the beginning of chapter 4, uh, Paul has a clear thing in, in, in his crosshairs, and that's boasting. The pride of man. And a woman, right? Mankind, everyone, all together, right? We all have pride, right? And that's Paul's target. That's what he's going after. Look, look there at chapter 3, 
verse 27, after he's just, you know, in detail covered the, the entire gospel message, he comes at a logical conclusion. Where then is the boasting? You think you're better than someone else? If you really understand what he has said before, you should understand there is no room for boasting. It's excluded. Right? Chapter 4, verse 2. If, if, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about. If. That's a big if. And, and we learn there, Abraham was not justified by works. It was by faith. And there's something about boasting. You know, boasting, what will we find pride in? It's, it's, it reveals something very deep in our heart. A source of our confidence, a source of our identity, of who we are. It's oftentimes what, what motivates us to get out of bed, go about our day. When we're feeling discouraged and we're feeling down, we look to that. Maybe when someone criticizes, criticizes us or looks down on us or passes over you at, at a job opportunity, it's probably where your heart and your mind turn to something deep in our souls that we find confidence in and even draw our self-worth from. And here, the gospel is providing a cure to that. Because boasting in, in, in anything in of ourselves, right, whether it's our achievements, uh, our, our moral record that we, that we keep, uh, our, our comparisons of how we measure against our, our friends and our, maybe our fellow church members or maybe our family, you know, whatever these things are other than Jesus that we're trying to put our confidence in. It's a dangerous path to go down. I mean, think about some of the problems in the world, right? Most divisions in the world have their root in man's pride. One man thinking he's better than another. One person thinking they're more entitled than another. Most divisions come from that, right? Uh, and Romans 1 to 3 should help us all see, man, there's no divisions. In terms of error, we're all in the same boat together. And for those of us that are Christians, you know, us being Christians and being righteous in, in God's sight, that being credited to our account, well, that's, that's not because we're good people. It's actually because we've come to grips with and accepted the reality that we are not good people. That we are weak, that we are frail, and that we are in great need. You know, one famous dead guy says, really, in reality, before the cross, all we need is need. All we need is need. Right? It's not, it's, you know, it's, not, it's not reason to put great, great confidence in. You know, one of the other big problems, I think, in the world is not just divisions, but self-deception. Our tendency to lie to ourselves about ourselves. The very fact that we do that tells us that, that we're not grasping the gospel on the level we need to. Because we, we lie to ourselves because that tells us we put confidence in our goodness. We lie to others because we don't want others to see us as we really are. And it shows us that we care way too much about self and our self-worth. We're trying to find that in, in you know, whatever it may be, uh, you know, our, our, our moral aptitude or our success in our career. And, and the gospel says, you, you know, there's no need for that anymore. There's no need for this lying to ourselves or lying to, to, to others. Uh, we are freed from that. You know? and, and I think one of the easiest ways we can tell whether or not we're freed from uh, that, 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 that uh, flawed approach is how do you handle criticism? How do you handle it when someone pulls you up on something, when someone points something out? Someone asks you, hey, what's going on with this? What about this area in your life? 
How do you respond? If you respond with defensive, you know, defense mechanism, whether it's uh, putting up a wall of defense or la launching an assault of counterattack on the person, you know, that tells you something. You care too much about self. You're trying to find your self-worth, your identity in how other people view you or how you yourself view you, right? And that's, the, the gospel frees you from that nonsense. It does. It frees you from that nonsense. I mean, it enables us to, to all have the same attitude that Paul has when he deals with the church, the church in Corinth who, who are criticizing Paul, uh, questioning whether he's apostle. And what does he say? He says, I don't care. I don't care what you think about me. I don't even care what I think about me. Because he's come to the conclusion and he, and he has find rest in the reality that God has credited righteousness to his account. And nothing else matters. Nothing else matters. There's no need for all the defensive Olympics that we often do. Right? We're freed from that nonsense. Amen? You following me? Amen. Right? I think the other big, big thing that it frees us with, if we understand that righteousness has been credited to our account, that fear and anxiety are gone. You know, and a lot of our fear and anxiety as Christians come, comes from this idea of, am I doing enough? And we become slaves to enough. And, it, and the reality is, like the song in Greatest Showman, it's never enough. You're never going to do enough. You can't do enough. Right? You can't. It's impossible. You know, but we could be so wrecked with, 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 with this, this pursuit. You know? And, you know, again, this is, put a, a, uh, an asterisk next to this, okay? Uh, Martin Luther was extreme in this. Not... American Martin Luther, but German Martin Luther, okay? You know, but, but he was writing, you know, there's le you can read letters. Uh, he had a friend named Jerome who was kind of discouraged in his Christian faith. He was kind of discouraged about, uh, you know, habitual sin in his life uh, and not growing how he wanted to grow, right? You know, and, and Luther picked up this idea that this guy cares way too much about how he's doing, you know, in the eyes of people. Okay, and here's Luther's advice. Okay, and there's parts of it, and you'll see which part I'm talking about. That maybe not necessarily great advice, right? But he says, right? Luther writes to, to Jerome here in 1530, uh, still very relevant today. <laughs> he says, whenever the devil pesters you with these thoughts, at once seek out the company of people, drink more, joke and jest. It gets worse. Don't worry. <laughs> Engage in some other form of merriment. Sometimes it's necessary to drink a little more, play, jest, or even commit some sin in defiance and contempt of the devil in order to not give him an opportunity to make us scrupulous about trifles. Okay, a little bit extreme there, right? But, but here's his point. He says, when the devil throws our sins up to us and declares that we deserve death and hell, we ought to speak thus. I admit that I deserve death and hell. What of it? Does this mean that I shall be sentenced to eternal damnation? By no means. For I know one who has suffered and made satisfaction in my behalf. His name is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Where he is, there I also shall be. Again, I don't know about going and sinning, right? But, but the point that he's writing to his friend Jerome is, you know, Jerome was feeling this onslaught of, of accusatory thoughts. Okay, and sometimes we feel this. Okay, you know, I mean, I've, I've sat with people, and, and they, 
They, they missed a day reading their Bible, and they're all like perplexed, like they're going to, you know, that they're under God's judgment. That's crazy. That's crazy. First century, you wouldn't even have had a Bible to have a quiet time on. I mean, really. You would have to be enormously wealthy in the first century to even have a part of a scroll. Okay? And this idea that, that, that sometimes we are way over-conscious stricken by, our, by, by our, our, our failures reveals that we, we think God operates in, in our relationship, in this covenant, based on what we do. He does not. And we need to understand that. You know, because even later on, chapter 8, when, when, you know, when Paul will talk about, man, we have an advocate. I mean, what's the role of the advocate, the spirit, is, is to stand with us and remind us that we are what? Part of God's family. Not because we're good people. Not because we do what's right. Not because we read the Bible. Not because you go to church. Not because you study the Bible, people. Not because you avoid sin. Not because of any of those things. Because of faith. And that's what credits righteousness to our account. Right? And again, Luther's extreme on it, but I think probably the reality is we're often on the other extreme of that. Way too works-based. Doesn't mean you go out and do whatever you want to do, okay? He's going to have some things to say to us about that in Romans 6, okay? But, but here in Romans 4, he's hitting, a, hit, hitting us over the head with this reality of righteousness is credited by faith. And when you feel that, when you feel the, you know, the, the, the devil's flaming errors coming at you with accusations, you, you need to turn to the righteousness that's been credited to your account by faith, not to your good deeds. Right? Amen? You guys with me? Amen. Close out here with three pretty practical things right? Uh, about this faith. Okay? Uh, because he does have a, a bit to say about Abraham's faith. right? And we see that in the end here. Uh, you know, starting from around verse 18 all the way to the end, right? And the first thing you notice here is that this reality, right, that we're meant to have faith, right, is greater than how we feel or how things appear. Abram's example of having faith, and that faith ending up, you know, enabling righteousness to be credited to his count, it was not a faith uh, that was shaped uh, by his feelings or by his perceptions or his circumstances, I mean, literally, verse 18 says, against all hope, Abram in hope believed. I mean, against all hope. All right? Verse 19, without weakening his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Right? And, and Abram's a good example here uh, in that, you know, because sometimes we can think, you know, it, it's, it's, it's faith versus reason. No, no, it's faith and reason. Abram doesn't turn a blind eye to the reality that, that, that there's, some, there's some hurdles to that promise being fulfilled. He faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. Right? He faced that. He saw that. He saw that reality. Right? But, but there were some other things at play in his faith. And we'll, we'll talk about that in a second. You know? But this is, again, you, you think about Luther's advice to his buddy Jerome. Right? He, doesn't, he doesn't tell Jerome to turn a blind eye to his sin. No, no, no. Yeah. I am. I am a sinful person. Yes, I am weak. I've accepted that. But what does it matter? Because my faith is in Christ. Again, not, not, not turning away from reality, but, but seeing reality and also understanding God, right? One and the same. Make sense? Sometimes we can think faith is some optimism, right? About life. Uh, it, it's really, you know, faith uh, pushes us out of self-trust. 
right? And uh, enables us to face what's really going on, our weaknesses, you know, you know, the, the feelings we have about situations and perceptions, but still face them with resolve, because we know God's involved. Right. Secondly, what do we see about faith? You know, it's it's not just that re- that knowing that this reality is greater than how we feel or how even things appeal uh, appear, but it also faith enables us to fo- focus on the facts about God. Right? To to focus on the facts about God. You know, chapter four, verse seventeen, kind of the end of that verse. You know, who who is this God? It's the God who gives life to the dead and calls things into being though they are not. That's crazy. And I think sometimes we, we worship lesser gods. Right? But Abraham is robust viewpoint of God. This understanding of who God is, right? Uh, the God, he is the God who gives life to the dead and calls things into being that we're not. And if that's God, and that's the God we worship, the men, our failures, are they not enough? Can, we, can he not overcome them? <laughs> of course he can, right? You know, even chapter 4, verse 21, it says that Abram, was, you know, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. And this is where, you know, God has, God has instructed Abram as, as, and some people are shocked by this story, to go sacrifice his son, Isaac. That was common... Uh, pagan religions of, of Abram's day expected the sacrifice of your firstborn. That's why Abram's not like overly shocked by that concept because that's kind of normal. That's, that's the, 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 the MO of gods of Abram's day. Okay? Uh, the shocking part of the story is that God stops it. But, but it says that, that, that Abram, you know, he did. He faced facts about the God he was worshiping. He, he was fully persuaded, verse 21, uh, that God had the power in some sense, probably to raise Isaac up. All right? I mean, if, if at 100 I can have a kid, and then God tells me to sacrifice that kid, and this is a kid through whom I'm going to have lots of offspring, well, then God must be going to raise that child from the dead. But, but Abram's faith in God, he had an understanding of, man, the, the power that, that his God has, that he possesses. You know, and you think, Abram, Abram arrived at that thought with no Bible. I mean, how much story did Abram have about God? You know, I mean, we read Abram's story to try to help ourselves have more faith. Right? But Abram's story is just kind of one of, you know, thousand stories. It should help us to realize, you know what, God has power to do anything. And you know what, when God makes a promise, God fulfills that promise. Even if it takes a thousand years, that's really nothing for God. Because he works over those time scales because he stands outside of time. You know, Abram had that, 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 that <laughs> understanding of who, who the God is that he worships. Right? And he had a robust viewpoint of, of God. You know, third and lastly here, you know, Abram knew the reality uh, that, that was greater than how he felt or how things appear. He, he knew the facts about the God he worshipped and he learned to trust the Word of God. You know, the end there, verse 21, which you already read, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. Abram is a tremendous example of faith because God tells him to do something and he's fully persuaded and that's what he does. Because he understands that if God speaks, that's a sure thing. That's a sure thing. 
You know, and you see the same pattern in, in the first followers of Jesus, right? Jesus walks beside the Sea of Galilee, sees some guys fishing, says, come follow me, and they drop their nets and they follow. It's that same Abram faith. God says, well, that's what God's word is, and that's what we do. Because God's word is reliable. And God's not going to break his word. And if God has said, here's reality, here's how things are, then that's how it is. And, and it may seem as if it is not that. And for sure, in Israel's history, they had lots of periods where things seemed to not be working. And yet God comes through. And the surety of God's word, guys. I mean, you read, you read, if you ever, you know, I don't know, having quiet times in Jeremiah can be challenging, okay? But one of the cool things in, in, in the prophet Jeremiah even is how Jeremiah talks to God about God's word. It's almost as if the prophets at times bring legal case against God. God, you have said this, and we're going to hold you to that. Because they understand that, that, that we worship a God who speaks, and God doesn't just speak, just throw away comments. When he speaks, that is how it is. And that's a surefire thing. And we can appeal to it, and we can stand on it, and we can base our lives on it. Because it's reliable. And that's the kind of faith Abram had. And you think about us and having this faith and understanding that, man, righteousness is credited to our account purely by faith. That, that goes against logic. Some of you are probably sitting here thinking, but yeah, but. You know, and, 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 you know well, if we really believe that, then people do whatever they want to do. Well... I mean, what is Romans 6, which is the end of his thought? Verse 1. What shall we say? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. But the logical conclusion of what Paul is saying is this idea of, what, should we go on sinning then so that grace increase? He wouldn't write that if he didn't think people would think that. Okay, And so, so Paul is in some sense trying to push the church of Rome to that extreme of understanding, look, righteousness does not depend on you guys. And it does not depend on your behavior. And it doesn't depend on your deeds. God does not deal with us in that way. He knows who we are, and we should for sure know who we are at this point. And he has dealt with us, not as we deserve, but has shown us grace. You know, and I do, I do hope and pray that you leave here today with a deeper understanding of grace. And if you're riddled with guilt, man, you've got, you got, you got to understand Romans 4. You've got to understand Romans 5. You've got to understand that, 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 that how God operates is not according to your behavior. Amen? And when we grasp that with the faith of Abraham, we're free from all those various things. Amen? Let's have a prayer, and then we'll stand and sing one final song. Now, Father, we, uh, you know, like, like we pray before, we do thank you for Paul. We know he, he does you know, push us intellectually, God, and challenge us to you know, consider your ways, Father, more, more, more in depth, God. And we do pray, God, you help us, God. If, if we're in here and we're struggling with guilt, uh, if we're conscience-stricken, God, over, over you know, our failures, God, help us uh, to look at them squarely and see that that is what we are. We, we are failures. We, we don't do enough. We can never do enough, God. But, but help our hearts and our minds, God, to be, to be flooded with the joy that comes from the thought of knowing by putting our faith, our trust in you, not in ourselves, 
that righteousness is credited to our account, God. And we pray, Father. We pray that, that that can be, you know, uh, a small seed that, that bypasses our defenses and, and penetrates into our heart and, and grows and just it can be a, a, a such a wellspring of just joy and peace and, and ultimately courage and, and, and motivation of gratitude, God, to live for you, Father. We pray you help us with this, God. Help us to help one another, God, to remind one another of the privileged position we have and how it came to be. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.